I'm so excited because uh, it's fun to have guests in town, but it's something different when you have guests that are family. And uh, that's who we have tonight. Not only is he one of the best Bible teachers uh, in the country, one of the best communicators in the country, but he was also the best man in my wedding. He also taught me how to teach the Bible uh, when I was just coming out of high school. Um, he's been a youth pastor here. He's been uh, a church planter in Montana. He just came out with a brand new book uh, called Roar Like a Lion that you have to pick up for your kids, whether they read it on their own or you go through it with devotions as your family. It's going to be something that's going to encourage your kids and help your kids to roar like a lion. As we've been in this series on the weekends, hunting giants and talking about courage and being brave and, and wanting our kids to be launched into this world as giant hunters, not as fearful, passive Christians afraid to voice their beliefs or what is true, I think it has never been a better time to have my good friend Levi Lusco in the house tonight. Give him a round of applause. You're the best. Thanks, mate. My goodness. Can you guys hear me? Calvary Church, it is a joy to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Nate. Love you. Uh, what an honor, what a joy to be back here in New Mexico where we will always feel at home. If you guys will continue to have us, we'll continue to consider this home. Uh, love this church and love your pastor and uh, endlessly grateful for Pastor Skip and Linya, and they're my godparents my whole life. I've just loved them and, and just always uh, been encouraged in my faith and in, in this world as a human being. Uh, we, the first furniture, piece of furniture I ever had, I had this little piece uh, apartment in, in, on a, I think it was Academy in Eubank, and uh, $429 a month I paid for the apartment back in the day. And uh, for, had no furniture but a twin mattress in the ground. And Linya uh, got me a coffee table and was like, we're going to find you. Got, you got me a lamp. Uh, uh, just amazing. I think we still have that coffee table in Jenny's office at church. And it's just so fun. Every time we see it, we think of them. And we love you. We love Nathan and Janae. And just, just clearly God is moving in this next generation as well. And this whole team and staff and vision. And we love from across the country just following what God is doing here through all of you. And it is really a really beautiful thing. Uh, my wife Jenny here is here in the front row. Everyone say hi to Jenny, who is the best. And uh, we got married right out here at the, at the amphitheater outside. And just being here just gives me all those beautiful nostalgia feelings. Uh, I used to come in this room, literally in this room in the dark. And that was where I began to feel a sense of God's calling on my life to preach. And so to be back in here worshiping, just I have such a full circle uh, sense of gratitude for that. And so it is with that heart of just the deepest reverence for how good God is, even in life being hard and complicated, which it is, uh, that, that I would open the Bible with you tonight and we would get to spend some time together in God's Word. So um, thank you. If, um, if you're at the end of this message like, this, this guy didn't make any sense and he didn't, I didn't like him very much, then just know this. I'm gone next week and the usual guy's back and he's not only taller <laughs> and better looking, but also much better with the Bible, okay? So... Uh, we can get through this together just one night. It's going to be okay. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, turn please with me to the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. Um, as you're turning there, Nathan mentioned it, but I really am just so excited about it because it represents so much of a dream come true for me. This is what I'm holding in my hands here, our newest uh, release, uh, Roar Like a Lion, which if you don't know us, us at all, we have, like you, many of you, gone through hard things in this world. And we wrote a book about it. I released a book about it in 2015 called Through the Eyes of a Lion uh, that by God's grace has been translated into a bunch of languages and gone around the world. And God's used it to help people discover that whenever there's pain in your life, that God is preparing you for power. And a lot of people miss out on the blessing of pain because they mistake it for a burden because here's the thing, they're both heavy. Blessings and burdens are both heavy. So it's easy to mistake what you have. Joseph in the, in, the, in the pit he was in, following God. Joseph was in a pit, right? If you're going to follow God, pit happens. You just got to get ready for it, all right? It's a thing. In that pit, it was easy to mistake what was happening. What was happening? God, the dream God had for him was coming true. It's easy to mistake our burdens, uh, the blessings God's given to us as, as burdens. And so that book has been so encouraging. But from the very beginning, I wanted there to be a version of it for kids, because by God's grace, people who have gone through hard things have had friends and loved ones who care about them put our book into their hands. 
Because of our specific trial, a lot of times when someone hears of a child dying, they buy our book for the people who have gone through it. And it's so funny when I talk to people who are grieving or are going through the loss of a child, which is so unimaginably heavy to carry that and to steward that, uh, I've had many of them tell me, I got seven copies of your books. Everybody in my neighborhood that was a Christian bought me a copy. You're just so mad about it. And then I finally read it and I really did like it. Uh, and I love that story because it's an amazing thing to see something that was the worst day of our life help someone else out on, on theirs. Uh, but I always said in my heart, like, God, can't there be a kid's version? Because there's kids who suffer too. And uh, we began to talk to our publisher about it. And literally for, for years, we, we worked towards it. So to hold this in my hand and know that it's now out in the world, and they just told us that it's now getting translated into Portuguese and Spanish already. It's only been out for a couple weeks. Uh, it's just a big miracle. And my prayer for this book is that any child that reads it would understand that they can become a giant hunter, that they can, in their pain, find it turned into power, and that even though kids are going to read it who haven't gone through anything hard yet, they'll be trained for trials they're not even yet in. So I think we did bring some with us. If it doesn't last, you can get it on the internet at the places with the things where you buy stuff for the people, which of course means Amazon. Uh, Joshua. We're going to start in chapter one, and we'll kind of make our way through playing a little hopscotch just to get a bunch of key movements. Uh, I love verse, verse one through three to start with. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' aid, which I, there's so much that we could just spend time on right there, that this, this beautiful story of the book of Joshua begins with death, but every ending sets the stage for a new beginning. But don't read that quick and think, oh, just after the death of Moses. This is like the guy, all right? Moses walked with God like, like few people ever in history have or will. Like there was a uniqueness to having Moses at the helm in Israel. And, and to be under his leadership would have been like, it's okay. Like they, people literally said, we don't need to go up the mountain and talk to God. You talk to God. Just let us know what he says. What, you know, like, like there was a sense of trust in having a phenomenal leader. So to have a leader like that die, that would be a time of unsteady, unsteady, unsteady. And to be the guy who has to follow that dude, some big shoes to fill. So Joshua, who was Moses' aide, who was like, I got coffee for you, sir. What do you need for you? Yes, master. Yes, master. Right? Like, to, to, be, to be in that role, and then all of a sudden be like, everyone's looking to you, like, what are we going to do now, bro? Like, you're the man now, dog. That would be hectic. So there's a lot here. But notice, after the, Mo after the death of Moses, the Lord said to Joshua. You see, one leadership position might have been vacated, but one certainly has not. The king is still on the throne. And regardless of what Moses is in your life may come and may go, listen, we can always lift our eyes above the hills to the one who has made both heaven and earth and remember that God is still working in the world. What did he say? <clears throat> To Moses, to, to Moses' servant, Joshua. He said, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready. Someone say to your neighbor, get ready. ready. To cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them. To the Israelites. Notice he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your attention, please. At times we get frantic and stressed out and worried about, is God's blessing here? Am I in God's will there? Am I in the right school? Am I at the right job? Do I, need to, do I need to make some drastic change in my life to be in God's will? But I love it that once they've crossed over this river, they can know that wherever they set the sole of their foot, God will bless them. If you want to know where God's blessing is, look on the bottom of your foot. It's wherever you go. It's whatever school you're at. It's whatever job you have. It's whatever team you're on. It's whatever situation you're in. We don't need to like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm in God's will anymore. No, no, you're meant to be an agent of God's will. You're, you don't need to look for the blessing. You're meant to be the blessing. In being the blessing, you'll always receive more of what you're looking for. So he's still just, you're going to cross this river. You're going to, as I told Moses, nothing stops. Nothing stops with this human agent being removed because I'm still good. I'm still going to use you. You're going to charge this great calling. And there's a freedom in God's will. I don't think we need to 
get so stressed out overthinking God's will. God's will is whatever. Whatever, Paul said, you do, whether you're eating or drinking, do it to glorify God. So if you can do it to glorify God in the name of Jesus Christ, amazing. You are in God's will. I have just, over the years, talked to so many stressed out Christians who are like super concerned about God's will, right? God's will is whatever you do in word or deed, honor him. I remember when we were trying to decide whether we were going to start Fresh Life Church in Montana, this is 15 years ago, or at the time, something else, one of the other doors that were open. And I went to seek out counsel from a wise voice in my life uh, who we were grateful to have access to, Pastor Chuck Smith. And I sat down with him and I was like laying out the options. Well, here's the thought for Montana and here's the thought for this option. Here's the thought here and here's the dream. And he just cut me off and he goes, Levi, it doesn't really matter. And I was like, you're, that's a, you're the worst Yoda ever, right? <laughs> I have come to the Dagobah system for some guidance. And he said, people need Jesus everywhere. Just go, go, go. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like, just you, whatever you do, God's blessings on your foot. He's with you tomorrow. He's not more with someone else than he's with, not with you. He's, he's not paying attention so much to Afghanistan that he forgot about Albuquerque. God is still in the Duke City. COVID hasn't stressed him out. He is still furthering his kingdom. He's still reaching lost people. God's blessings under your feet. <clears throat> And so, we come to Joshua chapter 3, verse 5. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Wish I could take some time and talk about how rad this verse is, because he's telling them that there's something they have to do today in order for them to experience something they want to see tomorrow. Consecrate yourselves now, for the Lord will do wonderful things among you. I am convinced that whenever we see success, and I use that word in air quotes because there's lots of different kinds of success and lots of different ways to determine something successful. Something could be extraordinarily successful on earth, but in God's eyes, it was a big old failure. And something on earth could be a wah, 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 right? Like the widow's might getting put in. But in God's eyes, it is like, oh my gosh, did you see that? God's pushing the angels into the bushes, right? Because he knew she gave of what very little that she had, right? So, so when we talk about success, we always have to uh, nuance it with, with those sorts of distinctions. But, but when we see something that is successful, I think we oftentimes are mistaking what we're seeing. Because we're looking at the game, but we tend to forget the game before the game. We, 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 we tend to forget that, as Michael Jordan said, it is what is done in empty gymnasiums that fills up arenas. When we all had our eyes turned to Tokyo for the Olympics, we were seeing the power of decisions made 10 years ago, the power of decisions made 20 years ago. There were people cutting the skin off their turkey breast for the last seven years. We see the medal. We see them on the podium. We see the big moment of celebration. We tend to forget the consecration that took place in the previous season. So here we sit today on a Wednesday night, when there's lots of things you could be doing with your life, there's lots of opportunities that are out there. It's not like you had no choices, and yet you're opening your Bibles, and you're seeking God, and you're worshiping. What are you doing? You're preparing for future success. You're preparing for future strength. You're preparing for future. You're training for trials you're not yet in. Like Job, like I'm convinced that we tend to glorify and celebrate the wrong thing. Job, worshiping God when everything was taken away from him. Don't get me wrong, it's an amazing moment. It's very dramatic. He's saying, God, if you give and take away, I'm still gonna bless your name. Though you slay me, yet I will follow you. He chose to not take his wife's advice, which was curse God and die. So funny to me, when you read Job, you're like, God, takes, God allows the devil to take away his business and his home and his, his servants and his operations and his children even, but the devil leaves his wife. And you're like, why would he leave her? And then she speaks and you're like, she was on his team the whole time, right? So, so, we, so we see, that's a funny joke. We, we, see, we see Job worshiping God in that moment. We're like, wow, that's great faith. I want faith like that. I want to be a giant slayer too, right? And we are... We are tempted, I think, to miss how he got there. 
Because in the very first chapter of Job, it opens with Job on a non-spectacular Tuesday, reading his Bible and praying, praying for his kids, praying for his family. It's just a, it's, a, it's a normal morning. It's just an average quiet time. And then it says these four words. I love it. Thus Job did regularly. How did Job have the power and faith to trust God on the worst day of his life? He trusted God and prayed when it wasn't. I know it's not sexy, but it's good preaching. I'm telling you, this, that may not get 800 amens and 54 retweets, but it will live well. For you to do in secret, to do in common, to do in ordinary, to do these things that nobody sees but God. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. You see what I'm saying? Consecrate yourself. I didn't get any goosebumps at it. Consecrate yourself now. I, 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 I tried to, to join a team. I got into one of the small groups. I, I began, I don't see, no, you're doing it today for what God will be able to release through you tomorrow. Not even my sermon. Just saying. Verse six, Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. That shows you that exaltation is an act of God's hand. So we don't have to stress or strive or worry or fret or think I have to do something to get my name out there. I have to do something to, to connect and get opportunities and network and sort of work the situation here because the Bible says exaltation doesn't come from east or west. It comes from God's hand. And God raises up one and he lowers another. And so we just have to choose to be faithful like David who knew even though he was anointed to be king, but he was still willing to do the simple act of being a shepherd that God can find you when he wants to promote you. Just be faithful in the secret. Just be faithful in the ordinary. Just keep showing up on Sunday and serving in that Sunday school class. Just keep doing whatever God has called you to do. And to the degree that God seeks to exalt you, he can turn the volume up on your life if you're willing to. Pastor John Corson once told me, he said, that if you take care of the depth of your devotion, God will take care of the breadth of your impact. And he will do what he sees to do through you. So he tells Joshua, I'll exalt you today. Joshua was perfectly fine being Moses' servant forever. He would have been content with that for the rest of his life. He was a ride or die with Moses, right? And, and so God choosing to exalt him wasn't something he, he was like angling for. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. I love it. Jumping to verse 13. As soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, just to like separate him out from the pack of any other would-be gods. I love that. It's just casual flex on the part of uh, God. The Ark of the Lord, which God is it? Uh, the Lord who's the Lord of all the earth. Set foot, because all the other idols are like Wilson from Castaway. Talking to a volleyball people. Set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off. That's a pretty good miracle. And it will stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. And in case you're thinking this is probably some little trickle, right? Like the little culverts that run around. We were driving down by Tingley Beach yesterday and my, Lennox, my four-year-old, he saw the, he, the we, we're, we're big into fishing. We live in Montana and rivers and Glacier Park and we go, you know, all the, all the time and fish and, and, and we, he saw one of the little culverts across the street from where Tingley Beach is at and this is, this is a, a very muddy, small uh, little thing of water and he says to me, does anybody else feel like fishing, seeing the water? And I was like, not here, bro. Um, you grow a third eyeball if you eat anything come out of that water. But, uh, but in case you're thinking that this little miracle was God redirecting a very small trickle of water, the, the, the detail is given in, um, in verse uh, 15. Now the flood, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. It's pretty crazy because if you look into it, when the Jordan River would reach flood stage, it would be as much as a, while, a mile wide. So it's just telling you, like, when God caused the waters to stop so they could cross on dry land, <clears throat> it was, like, raging, okay? Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap at a great distance at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, which you're like, what's the Sea of Arabah? That's another name for the Dead Sea, or as it says in parentheses, the Salt Sea. That's going to be significant in a moment, the root of the water. 
It was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, I know this is a lot of scripture. You're like, man, this is a lot. Is this all going to be on the test? Because I don't know if I got it all. I just have one more little passage, and then we're going to tie this all together. And I really do hope and pray it makes sense, and God uses it to touch our lives in a significant way. Chapter 4, they do it all. They obey it all. They did everything he said, and it all happened like God said it would, which is what happens. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God, because the waters didn't come back till the ark left, and the waters didn't part till the ark went in. So I want you to go in there before the ark. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. Because in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be, say the next word with me, a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so, Lord, after having read your word, we ask that you, through your Spirit, working in us and upon us and through us would illuminate what we've read to cause it to come alive and, and burst into color in our hearts. And we would each individually, though spread out all, all over the, the room and the internet and through the technology you've given to us, even out of space and time, people listening to this message down the road on YouTube, and we pray that right now it would become personal for us. We would see that you are speaking to us something, a word in this moment. And we pray for the grace to act on that, the guts to live out of it. And we pray, God, that if, if someone has come who doesn't know you, you would draw them to yourself and the miracle of salvation would take place. Thank you for this moment, which we're grateful to sit in. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said together. Amen. I want to preach to you from these verses a message that I'm calling you have a new memory. That's what our phones are telling us these days. Your phone will buzz and you grab it. And like, Is it a text? Is it a, is it a phone call? No. Your phone's saying, you have a new memory. And it's always funny to me because I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know I did. Well, thank you for letting you. I didn't, I didn't know that. I forgot. I must have forgotten. I have a new memory. I didn't even remember. So like, I'm like, I'm going to see what this is all about, what the fuss is all about. I go in and it says to me, the best of 2014. That's what it says to me. Right? It's like my, somewhere in the algorithm, somebody decided that on a random Wednesday at 9.14 a.m., I need to think long and hard about 2014 and now sort of just go back over all the best of it. But I'm like, I don't, I don't remember 2014 very much. I, need, I do need to know about this. And so anybody else with me? Like, I'm going down this road now. And so here we are. And I, I need to be working. There's things I need to be doing. But I am, I am traveling down the 2014 memory highway, right? And it's kind of cool because it, it even, like, makes a little video for you and plays it when you play it with, like, heavy-handed, emotionally manipulative music. But I am, I am, I am a sucker for sentimentality. And so I'm like, I, I had forgotten all about that. And and I'm watching this thing, and it's kind of like whipped it together into this beautiful slideshow. And I'm thinking, gosh, there are people I need to send this to. This is special. This is curated. This is, this is beautiful. And, and just before I do that, it, something pulls me out of it because there'll be some photo that's just not right that was chosen. It's in there. Like, but it feels, whoa, it feels almost cruel. Like, my child, amazing. My wife, beautiful. An empty bottle of shampoo. I'm like, no, that's not, that is not the best of 2014. 2014 had more to give than that. 
and, and I, somehow my phone thinks that, 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 this, that this must have been really a s- s- significant. But no, it was, I took a photo of it to remind myself I need to buy a new shampoo because all we had was conditioner. <laughs> Why is it there's always more conditioner left at the end? And, and I kept taking like four showers with only conditioner. So finally, I am taking a photo of this thing to remind myself to... And I never deleted the photo. And so now here we are all these years later. It's like... Jenny, I know. Olivia, I know. I, Daisy, I know. Vidal Sassoon, I get thee behind me. I, what, are you, what are you doing? And at that point, you're like, wait a minute. There's something weird going on. Someone's combing through my memories and pre- presenting them to me. It's not even a real memory. Like sometimes you go in there, you have a new memory, and it's like all the times you've been around water recently. It's like, what? You and Jenny, o- over the years, you know, it's like, Beautiful moments, box of raisins. You know, so this, is, this is bizarre. It's, it's not even a real memory. It's a Franken memory, right? We're having our lives packaged back to us. And it doesn't always go well. There was a story I came across where a girl was in her kitchen, and she was preparing to take a sexy, scandalous photo <clears throat> to send to her boyfriend. Don't do it, kids. It's a mistake. And she um, had forgotten that she had set up a smart photo album. I don't know if you know there's smart photo albums. And you can pick with the facial recognition if there's certain people in this photo automatically kick it into this album. And she had gotten so sick of her mom who lived out of state saying, hey, send me pictures of my grandson. Send me pictures of my grandson. That she made a smart album where if there's ever a photo with her grandson in it, it automatically put it in that special album which was shared with her mom and she would get a notification to look at and see what Billy was up to. Now this would normally be fine because whoever would take a nude uh, sexy selfie of themselves to send to their boyfriend with their child in the room, obviously she wouldn't. But what she forgot was that there was a photograph of her son on her refrigerator. And dang it, if the camera didn't catch Billy's face smiling at her over the thing. And so the moment it was in her phone, it gets put off to the cloud. The cloud says, Billy's in the photo. You said text it to mom if Billy's in the photo. And so mom's sitting there just knitting up a storm. You know what I'm saying? That's how I imagine it. Just knitting and all of a sudden, and she's, you have a new memory. And it's like, whoa, this is not one I will soon forget. But we'll, I just picture her mom pouring bleach on her eyes, you know. What's the point? The point is, it is important what we remember, and it is also equally significant what we forget. And it's interesting, the relationship that we are meant to have with forgetfulness and with memory in general, um, and how hard it can be, how cruel and capricious it can be to have memories taken from you without your choice. We are currently walking through uh, the difficult journey journey of dementia. With a, with a family that is, is, is close to our hearts. And to see every day less and less of his memories of life there. To look into the eyes of someone you love, and many of you have, have had to walk through that difficult, dark journey. What do we forget? What do we remember? What does it matter? Well, it seems to matter quite a bit. Because 229 times in the Bible, in the New King James Version, the word remember is used. And we tend to love the Philippians, forget everything behind you, which clearly there is that. There is a sense in which as we pursue Christ, we do have to let go of certain things. We do have to choose to forget certain things, have to, have to leave behind certain places. But I don't think that is meant to be a blanket statement about the memory in general and the past in general. So what do we do with the giant of our past? especially when it comes to difficult, hard, and really painful memories. The Bible here has the children of Israel. God here has Joshua as the leader now of the children of Israel at a significant moment in their history doing something to preserve memory. These rocks that they were to pile up before the ark was to leave the river was meant to be a permanent, powerful reminder, a memorial for them of what was behind them. God did not intend for them to begin this new nation and to one day have a started from the bottom, now we're here, kind of a memory of the story where they stopped dancing with the ones that brought them and to where they didn't just all of a sudden, you know, one day think that they had always lived in Israel, never had to have boxes. God wanted their children 
to bump into these stones in Gilgal, which would be sort of the spiritual center for Joshua during the entire conquest of the promised land, a place they would keep coming back to and coming back to when he needed to recalibrate his heart. He would come back to Gilgal. For me, coming to Albuquerque, being in this room, it's a coming back to Gilgal for me. I told you about that a moment ago. And God wanted every time they came back for there to be someone pulling at the pants sleeves of their parents going, hey, I was in Gilgal. Weirdest thing, Dad. There's this big pedestal. And on top of it, these rocks. What are they all about? God intended, even here we are thousands of years later, to not forget. There are things we are not meant to forget. There are 200 and, and all these 29 reasons to remember. So, so what of this moment, to me, the, the question I was asking would be hard for the children of Israel. And as I walk through their story, I think to myself, they're going, Joshua, you're, you've got to be kidding me. God, we, you've got to be kidding me. We do not want to remember what is behind us here. Why? Well, because it was, first of all, such a pain to get to this moment. It was supposed to only take 11 days. That's how long the journey is from Egypt to the promised land. 11 days. And it took them 40 years. And it was 40 years of failure, 40 years of doubt, 40 years of disbelief. And God eventually said, listen, none of you who came out are going to get to enter in. Because none of you believe me. Only your kids are going to get to enter in because you didn't think I would look after your kids. So you're all going to die here and you're going to wander until you all die. And only your kids will get to enter in, which to me, I, the way I see that is I see then the kids just frustrated for all those 40 years. I'm like, God, man, when are we ever going to get into the promised land? Dad, how are you feeling? Right? <laughs> feeling great. <laughs> Dang it. Right? Like hiding grandpa's vitamins. You know what I'm saying? Like I just, that's how I read the Bible. I'm sorry. I need help. But... But when they finally got here, I mean, they, think about that, that now, 40 years of funerals, 40 years of sadness, 40 years of despair. And they finally got to a place called Shittim. That's what Joshua 3.1 says, was where they, they, they prepared to cross over, where they consecrated themselves getting ready to cross over. Joshua 3 verse 1, it was at Shittim. You have to be really careful pronouncing that word, by the way. Shittim, S-H-I-T-T-I-M. It's like Satine from Wreck-It Ralph. Shittim. Because you could easily cuss and not even mean to. Shittim was where they were at before they crossed over. And to me, it's a perfect picture of the entire 40-year period. Shittim which is not only a geographical location, but it also became sort of a, a sweeping summary to describe a wilderness place. Any wilderness place became kind of known as the Shittim, uh, and specifically the Kidron Valley as it went out from Jerusalem towards the Dead Sea. It was a part of this large Shittim and, and, and spoke of where the, the river was, was cut off from on the way to the Dead Sea as well. And, and to me, it's, it's perfect because the Bible has this sort of beautiful promise from beginning to end about Eden being taken away by sin. And God's promise in the end is to restore Eden. God's promise is to one day fully remove the world of all of the things that have been plaguing it ever since the innocence of man was lost, when paradise was forfeited at Eden in the very beginning. The Bible opens up with a garden and closes with a garden. It's God restoring Eden. And we are told in Scripture that, that God not only will create new paradise for us to, to live in, but he also is capable and able of taking old wasteland and turning it into a new garden. Joel chapter 3, verse 18 says that when God's river that comes from the throne and waters the world, bringing forth the, the salvation and abundant life that Jesus Christ unlocked, he is that living river. In Joel 3, 18, it tells us how the river is going to pass through Israel. It says, it shall come to pass in that day, the mountains shall drop new wine and the hills shall flow with milk. It's kind of like a Willy Wonka situation. And the rivers, listen to this, <clears throat> of Judah shall flow with waters. And notice, a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. 
So God is going to take this river and not only bring life where there is none, but he's going to take a place that's wasteland. In the valley of Kidron, they, buried, they, they, they threw dead bodies of criminals and, and homeless people. Jesus' body would have been tossed there had it not been for Joseph of Arimathea's kindness. Garbage was burning there. Jesus used it as a picture of, of what hell looks like, where there's fires raging, where there's, there's a terrible smell, where it's a horrible place. That's Shittim. And the reason I think the Israelites would not want these stones, they would, be, they would love to just completely not have these memories, is because for them, it just spoke of 40 years of Shittim. And so now Joel says, and what Jesus Christ lived out when he said, I am that living water that is sent. If you drink from me, you will not thirst again. As he is saying, you don't have to hide your shatim from me. Your shatim can become Eden. Your shatim can become paradise. Your shatim can flow with life. Your wasteland can live. Hey, you don't seem convinced, though. And neither did they, I'm sure. In fact, I think a lot, of, a lot of us, if we're honest, when God says, it's going to flow there. Take that place that you want no one to know about. Take that place that's full of fear. Take that place that's full of self-loathing and shame and condemnation. Your shatim is different from my shatim, but all of us feel the same when God says, I'm going to bring new life out of that hard place. We all say, God, you got to be shatim me. There is no <laughs> way that that can happen. And that is why I think that rather than having hope that the desert places of our heart can bloom like the rose and drip with new wine, we would just rather push them out of our minds, push them out of sight. But I want you to understand what I have come to preach to you, and I believe God sent me to tell you, is that if you are to see your life become what God intends for it to become, you have to be willing to remember what you would otherwise rather forget. You have to go there. That's why the first of our six takeaway truths tonight, I hope you jot them down, is you've got to be willing to roll some stones. This message is deeply personal because I want you to think about what your shatim is. This stone commemorated... That whole period, how did we get here? Oh, we weren't always here. We had to come from where? Slavery in Egypt. Oh, through 40 years of failure, all these funerals, all these shatims, all this doubting, and rolling them up. I'm telling you, rolling, ro rolling these stones up and seeing them, bumping into them, them falling, them being inconvenient, they are, they are to them a, a black mark on their history. And if you are not willing to go there, if you're not willing to roll those stones up to tell those stories, to get open, to get vulnerable, to be raw, to be real, to, to address that issue, to not just keep glossing over that thing, but actually to bring it out and to, to, to say to God and to say to the, the body of Christ as well as, as God would have us in relationship and community with each other, that iron, that sharpening of iron, to be like, this is what really, this is what me is. This is my story. This is my life. This is what, this is my testimony, which is how we defeat the enemy, the blood of the lamb, and the word of our testimony, which includes our test and the gory backstory of what we've been through. We have to be willing to roll stones. Here's why this is challenging. Our generation, I think, is coming quickly to a place where we see something being hard as a synonym of it being bad. And so we don't want to roll stones because something is a hard, automatically we're pinged and we don't want to remember that. Did you know that Google, Facebook, and Apple have all trained their algorithms to not detect any, uh, to not bring any ambulances or any hospital scenes into the memories that they create and carry for us? So our computers are trying their, their best and their hardest to curate a life for us that will only be happy. What does that tell you? What do all the dispensaries popping up around our nation faster than you see gas stations or self-storage units, which is very impressive because there are a lot of storage units and gas stations. But, but around this country, as I travel, there is one thing I've noticing that is dotting the landscape, and it's dispensaries. And what is a dispensary if not something that can help us to never have to roll stones? This bad stuff, this hard stuff, this painful stuff, I don't, I don't, I don't have even an answer for it, but I, don't, I sure as heck don't want to feel it. 
I don't want to think about it. So I'm just going to, it's not going to, you know, let me just be clear. Getting high, getting drunk, getting stoned, it doesn't change any of your problems. They're all still there. You just become sort of blissfully unaware of them. It just turns down, the, it dims the volume. It just, it, just, it, just, it just lowers the lights a little bit. My life still might be hard and still might be bad, but at least I don't care about it for the moment. And I think I see in them as well the trigger warnings, the sense that we're, we've become this trigger, trigger warning happy culture where we sort of can, hey, oh, oh that, that might trigger me, that might be hard for me, that might bring up something that I don't want to think about, and I want to, la, 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 no, I'm not listening. And, and between the trigger warnings and the, and, the, and, the, and the dispensaries, we sort of can just sort of go through a life where we're not paying attention, we're not seeing, we're trying to hide from our sight anything that would be traumatizing for us at all. I know, I know, I know you're saying, believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. I understand all that, and I've got some of that myself as well, and I can't help but paint with a broom to some extent, but I'm just saying that how can God ever redeem anything in our minds if we're not willing to remember? And God's answer to your shatim flowing with new wine is not you just putting it behind you and pretending it's not there but being willing to turn and face it with his help and the help of his people so that it can bloom, so that it can flow, so that it can be fresh and flourishing, not toxic and painful and traumatizing and debilitating so that we have to constantly live with blinders on, pretending the hard, scary, bad things aren't there. Something being hard doesn't make it bad. Arlington National Cemetery is hard, but important. The 9-11 Memorial is hard. Go through there with your kids. Hard, but important. When Omar Bradley and Dwight D. Eisenhower and General George Patton first stepped foot in Buchenwald, the largest of the concentration camps in Nazi-controlled Europe, one of 20,000, by the way, Many people back home in America assumed that it was all being blown out of proportion, what was being done at these so-called work camps. And they assumed it was propaganda, that this was how Jews were being treated. And when these three stepped foot in Buchenwald, and as they were walking in, emaciated skeletons who were being set free were running past them, they could not believe how much worse. It was not only not being blown out of proportion, it was far worse than anybody had ever conceived of. The crematorium fires were still burning. General George Patton hid behind a building and vomited. Omar Bradley grew white. But Dwight D. Eisenhower, the supreme commander of the Allied forces, he immediately called for an aid and had a message sent back home inviting all members of Congress, if they were able, to come and visit this so they could see it personally. He then instructed the press corps to come in and be brought to the front so that they could take photos, and videos before any of it was changed in any way. And when he was asked about why he would do this, he said, and I quote, I want it to be documented forever what we found here because it's possible that in the future somebody will deny this ever happened and our boys may not know what they're fighting for, but when they see these images, they will certainly understand what we're fighting against. He understood what we need to understand that something can be hard and important at the same time. That's why we roll stones. Secondly, jot this down, we have to be willing to make a clean break, to make a clean break. After they got across the river, you're like, all right, we ready to go take Jericho out now? God says, no, we're going to do some circumcision. And they were like, circum what? He's like, it's just, it's a thing. Uh, <laughs> why? Because Romans tells us that the physical act of circumcision was never about the physical act of circumcision. That it was always about the heart and what the Holy Spirit wanted to cut away from the heart. And God knew that even though it was a new fresh generation, that they still had smuggled some things out of Egypt with them, into, out of Egypt into the promised land with them. And he knew they were never going to be ready to embrace the future until they confronted the sins of the past. So these things had to be dealt with. This decisive action had to be taken. And I would say, yes, we roll stones and we deal with all the things of the past, but we also have to ask the question, what are we still carrying and holding on to? 
that is going to harm us and hold us back and only cause there to be more shatims in our future. And we have to be willing to make a clean break. For some of you, if it's been your love life and on Tinder and all the things with the porn, maybe then a clean break needs to happen where you're not dating anybody for a while. Some separation for your soul to heal for a while, to get right and, and, and to make some sense of that in whatever that might, might look like, to make a clean break for a season of separation and to get strong and to be ready for what is to come. It sometimes takes drastic action, sometimes takes a new phone number, sometimes takes uh, having sort of a, a splint put on your calendar or your soul for a season. I, I'm not strong enough to be with that friend group for a while. I'm not strong enough to be exposed to There may be a time when I go reach out to those people in that place that, from that season, but it's just, maybe that's not today. There needs to be a clean break happen that happens at times. Then number three, jot this down, we have to prioritize recovery because Joshua 5, 8 says, once circumcised, they did not go to rush and take Jericho yet. They're still not ready yet. Why? Because they weren't healed. They stayed where they were in the camp at Gilgal near these stones until they were healed, which I love that the Bible just tells us that. How long would it take to heal up from a circumcision? If it's like a vasectomy, bro, it's a while. <laughs> I, four days after mine, got on a plane to Portland, and that was too soon. That was too much. I was not ready to preach yet. It was tough. I was, I was hobbling through the concourses of the airports, all right? So they got their circumcision. They stayed where they were with some frozen peas until they were healed. Because there's no honor, TMI, there's no honor in playing hurt. There's no honor in playing hurt. And, and here's the thing. For, for some of you, as you roll the stones and you, 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 you make clean breaks, prioritizing recovery might look different for you than for me. Because Band-Aids, Taylor taught us, don't fix bullet holes. And staying where you are till you are healed might involve some prolonged counseling. It might involve uh, where you just, you need to have like a, a small group every night of the week. Like you just can't be left to yourself. Like I remember when Jenny and I were engaged, we were like, dude, if we are alone for like seven minutes, we are going to have sex. And we really want to wait until we're married to do that. And so we were like, we'd always call her roommate and be like, hey, are you home? We're coming over. She's like, you need accountability, don't you? We're like, uh-huh. And she was like our chaperone. We just knew better than to, to allow. So I'm just telling you, for some of you in this season of, of, of recovery, it might be where you, you cannot be alone for a while. You need to have people around you for a while. That's what this church is for. Get into 20 groups. Join 50 teams. There might be a season and, and counseling and the rest and, and just prioritize what recovery means for you. I'm not on social media at the moment, and I make sure to periodically take times where I have it off my phone and have just my soul to recover. There's sprint seasons and there's recovery seasons. You just have to know what it's going to take for you to thrive. Prioritize your own personal healing. Then number four, work hard. Because at a certain point, it's time to get moving and time to make wise steps to keep things from becoming a shatim. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means this, Joshua 5, 12, now that they're in the promised land, the manna stopped. For 40 years, when they were hungry, all they had to do is this, ready? Here's the shopping trip for them. This was better than Instacart. They just went out of their tent and went like this. <laughs> for 40 years, that was shopping and cooking and, and serving. That was Wolfgang Puck. God had this nutritious, delicious feast just land on their tongue. But the moment they got into the promised land, the manna stopped. The moment they began to eat some of the produce of the land, the manna stopped. Could it be, and I'm perhaps being presumptuous here, the greatest thing God will ever do in your life, the greatest compliment he will ever pay you, is by taking away something that you depend on. Because he's complimenting you by saying, you're ready. You're ready for me not to spoon feed you. You're ready to not be on the green anymore. You're ready to actually get out there and do something. You no longer need to be coddled in the desert. You have crossed over. You are not a boy. You are a man. You are not a little girl. You are now a woman of God. Go out and grow some food yourself. It's time to farm. It's time to work. It's time to do something that's difficult. I like how Bishop T. Jakes put it. He said, God has never once made a chair, but he gave us a whole world full of trees. And sometimes we're praying about things that God has given us the capacity to be the answer to our own prayer for. 
God, I, I really want a job. Did you apply anywhere? <laughs> God, I really want a wife. Do you brush your teeth? It's a, it's a thing. Work hard. The manna stopped. All right, time to get moving. C.S. Lewis said that God delights perhaps most in prayers we pray in times of dryness when we don't feel him there anymore. When we're first saved, it's like manna everywhere. Oh my God, you're so good. I love you so much. Oh, I love being saved. Not going to hell is amazing, right? And, and that's manna. That's to some degree God like spoon feeding you with that goodness and the goosebumps. And then it sort of stops. And it's a compliment when God trusts you enough to treat you rougher. A mall cop gets different treatment than a Navy SEAL from his CO. No shade on a mall cop. We, we need them too, right? But, but when, when God isn't sending you the manna and pampering your soul, we're tempted to go, where are you, God? You're not there with me anymore. And he's like, I trust you enough to now be the blessing. So get going. Go grow some food and build a farm and open a store and start a restaurant and take wise action. I don't sleep well. Where's God? I don't sleep well. Turn off your Netflix for a hot second. Constant headaches. Where's Jesus? I prayed for deliverance. Do you drink enough water? Your God will never do for you what you can do for you. He does the super. Y'all, you got to do the natural. I got more to say on the subject. All right. Number five, throw parties. That's our fifth step in walking in new memory. Throw a party. Because now they're circumcised and healed and they're eating their own crops. And they're like, can we go take Jericho now? And God says, nope. Party in the USA. Right? No, actually, it's Israel. He says, it's time for a party. Party. And I'm telling you, party. If you read the actual description of what the Passover ceremony looked like, it involved four cups of wine. Okay? Party. This is from God. This is how you're going to party. This is how you're, now, if you don't get down like that, four cups of coffee, okay? So whatever, I'm, I'm just saying God told them, we are planning out a party. It is going to be a beautiful thing. Why? Because now you're going to commemorate and celebrate my goodness in all of this. With the stones right there, there to celebrate. With the stones bringing up the PTSD of the traumatic moments there to celebrate the goodness of God, even when they are staring in the face of proof that life can be bad. There's power in it. I want you to know this message is not preached from some ivory tower of a great idea I had one day. It was forged in the fire of me shaking every time I heard an ambulance. I couldn't go to a hot tub for a long time because I knew there was going to be a CPR chart at every public hot tub. And just seeing the instructions for CPR and mouth-to-mouth would take me back to Shatim. And I would feel a panic attack barreling towards me like a freight train as I'm seeing my daughter's chest rise and fall with my breath. And my own bedroom became the theater for my worst nightmares. Because something about 3 a.m., it's tough. And my birthday came in the darkest period of all this. And I told Jenny, I want to throw a big party. I don't, I'm not a big party thrower. I'm going to throw a party for my birthday this year. And I bought a cool shirt that I really liked. And I booked a Mexican restaurant because I really like Mexican food. And it's not very good in Montana. <laughs> Just being honest. It's terrible, actually. And told a bunch of people I wanted them there. And I was able to tell them about the hard season that we've been walking through. And how painful it was to go back into all these heart challenging memories and how hard it all, all was. And I said, but I wanted you guys here to watch me as an act of defiance. Celebrate the goodness of God in my shatim. And we're going to sit here and we're going to just revel in how good God is as we eat short rib tacos and drink Topo Chico and celebrate how good God is even when I'm still a little bit PTSD from the PTSD. You know, the worst thing about a panic attack isn't the actual panic attack. It's the next night when you're afraid, is it going to happen again? For a long time, every night walking up the stairs at my own house, as the sun had set, I would start to think, is tonight going to be one of those nights? 
And I just believe there is power in not just trying to forget and trying to put those things out of sight, but actually in dragging them into the light and all these steps and all the things and counsel and wise voices. And there was a a time when I did need medicine, and that is an amazing option that God has given to us, just like we have contact lenses to see. I'm I'm at, at this point in my life grateful to not need that anymore because I've seen such strength and worked through that with counseling. But here's the beautiful thing, and here's the amazing thought, is as they're throwing the party and working hard and prioritizing recovery, making a clean break, they're doing all these things that God wants them to do. The last point is this. While they were doing it, God was doing something also behind their back. They're lifting a cup of wine to God and saying how good they are for the blood over the, the doorpost. And, the, and the, by, back over here, they thought that this only spoke of their failure. But in the midst of all this, at some point, with some amazing jujitsu, as they, as they look back at it, the fifth point is that while you do what God's called you to do, he is overturning associations. It's so sneaky of him because they thought the stones only spoke of their failure. They thought the stones only spoke of, of, of the worst day of their life. What was that day? That was the day when their parents, their mom, their dad, their grandparents, all rose up against Joshua and Caleb the two spies that had gone into the promised land, along with the 10 who said, we can't do it. God is not big enough. We should never have left Egypt. And on that day, what does the book of Joshua tell us happened? This is, or sorry, Numbers 14, verse 10. This is the same period. It says, on that day, the whole community, I think we have it on the screen, Numbers 14, verse 10, the whole community began to talk about 40 years ago, they stood by a river. And their parents had stones in their hands. And they began to talk about throwing stones at God's appointed leaders to turn their back on God's plans. That was what these little kids had locked in their memory. And you know how sounds bring you back, don't they? And smells bring you back, don't they? To think about the powerful ratatouille vibe going on here as they on this day saw the stones. Why would we want stones at a river involving this? I thought that's what we came to leave behind. And God said, no, you came to drag them into my presence so that while you're busy worshiping, you don't even realize how much you're healing and I'm overturning the associations. But because, because now what you thought spoke only of your failure is forever going to speak of my triumph. And how these stones speak of how good I am, not just how bad you are. You see, you can't delete a memory. And it's futile to try. But you can write a new layer on top of an old one. They can be coated with grace. And so instead of trying to, la, 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 they don't exist. Got to go to the dispensary. Trigger warning, trigger warning. Got to tiptoe around the world on eggshells trying to not be triggered. Instead, I'd rather just stare it in the face and say, with Jesus holding my hand, do your worst. Do your worst. Do your worst with counseling, with pastoral support, with the support of the body of Christ, with, and, and to stand there almost crying from shaking, looking at the thing that you, you I, that, that day on the calendar that spoke of your abortion, that day on the calendar that spoke of when you were sexually assaulted, that day on the calendar that spoke of when this happened, of when the, the, the Camelot era of your life was cracked, of when the, 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 the person you loved the most was taken from you tragically at their own hand, when that these things, as opposed to just pretending they're not there, and when that day comes on the calendar, we just check out, and we are just not, we're, we're not going there. Instead, we we bring those things out and we watch God overturn them because that's what he does. Gilgal, in case you didn't know, means rolling away reproach. Rolling away. They rolled stones up and God was rolling while they were rolling. You know he's really good at rolling the stone away. I tell every day, we, we are here because he rolled the stone away. I'm telling you, whatever you think is keeping you trapped in the tomb and you trapped in regret and you trapped in your guilt and you trapped in your pain and you trapped in your past. I got news for you. He rolled the stone away on the third day and there's a new memory. You have a new memory. And when in worship, you holding that pain and holding that fear, raise your heart up to God. You're involving that thing that you don't want to remember in this moment, and now the resurrection layers it with a new memory. You have a a new memory. I want to close with 
an illustration pulled from the world of nature. Because I came across while writing this message, randomly, I would say fortuitously, one prayer I pray regularly is God bring the right things to me. I learned that from Pastor Jensen Franklin. He said he prays every day, God bring the right things to me. And so I'm working on this sermon and I come across this thing on the internet about crocodiles. And I'm like, I'm going there. I am going down this road. Know all about 2014 now? Let's go down the crocodile road. And the, stone, the article that I read, as I'm writing a message about stones, says, did you know that crocodiles swallow stones? And they serve two purposes. Number one, they act as an as a agent of digestion because they swallow their food whole without chewing, contrary to what their mama taught them. <laughs> and the stones rubbing against these things can help them digest what otherwise they could not. And secondly, crocodiles need to hang out where it's really deep and be down low so that they can come up high and ambush their prey. And the stones become ballast. I guess God wants me to ask you, do you have stones? The stones of his glory, the stones of weight, the stones of looking at these things and realizing you're becoming deeper, you're becoming stronger, you're becoming better. In the Bible, the word glory actually could be better translated heaviness or weight. And I believe the more we walk in God's glory and experience God's glory in his presence, the more we will have the weight to go down low, to come up high, descending and ascending, and to be able to process what otherwise we could never on our own. And so, Father, that's our prayer. For you to give us the stones to help us remember what we would otherwise rather forget. We think about the woman who poured oil at your feet who was a prostitute. It was perfume. And that perfume would have been used as a prostitute in everything she did that was an act of shame. But by pouring the feet, the perfume out at the feet of Jesus, she now had a new memory. And when she smelled those things, it didn't just bring her back to every man who came to take from her. It took her to the feet of the only man who ever came only to give something to her, your son. And when she smelt that perfume, she could choose to combat the old memories with a new one. So that's my prayer for your people. I pray that whatever paralyzes them with fear the most, whatever location, whatever situation, brings back the, the worst memories. How sickening it felt to learn of whatever horrible thing today still haunts them. I just speak freedom in your name, Jesus. The devil can't have our cars. The devil can't have our bedrooms. The devil can't have our homes. The devil can't have our churches. These things have been bought and secured with your blood. And where the spirit of Christ is, there is freedom. If as we're praying, some, if some part of this message has resonated with you and you would just say, this is what I want, I want a new memory. Could, you, could I just ask in the, the privacy of this moment, you would let God know that by raising up a hand? This message was for you. God bless your people who with their vulnerability are raising their hands up. And I pray your spirit to fall afresh on them, to set them free, to give them strength in the worst moments, to combat these old things with new memories of worship and peace and grace and strength and glory. Give them weight, give them a heavyweight spiritual strength in the name of Jesus. You can put your hands down. And I want to pray with any who have come today and you've never given your heart to Christ. If you would say, Levi, that's me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Or I'm like that prodigal son. I grew up knowing about God, but I have walked away. If that's you I'm describing, I would love to pray for you. So as either an act of dedicating your life to God or rededicating it, if you're ready to give your heart to Jesus, would you pray this prayer with me? Pray it out loud. Pray it, <clears throat> meaning it in your heart, and God will hear you. No one praying alone. Church family, pray it with us. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. Please come into my heart and make me new. I give my life to you. In Jesus' name. With heads still bowed and eyes still closed, I believe in the power of a moment to nail down a decision like that. I'm going to count to three. <clears throat> When I get to three, if you just gave your heart to Jesus, I want you to shoot your hand up in the air. Your way of saying, this is me, this is real, I'm nailing this down, right here, right now. One, two, 
Three, shoot your hand up in the air. Shoot your hand up. God bless you and God bless you and you all around the room. Hands going up. Come on, church, celebrate with these who have made this decision for Christ. You can put your hands down. At the conclusion of the service in just a moment, if you did raise your hand up, at the right uh, of this room, there's some doors here. There's going to be some friends in this room that would love to talk to you if you just gave your heart to Jesus, raised your hand up, or just need prayer for anything. It would be an amazing blessing. There's going to be pastors and leaders here willing to pray with you, talk to you about what's next. But I think that we're going to close in just singing a chorus. So let's stand up to our feet and let's sing together. God bless you, Calvary. Love you all. Hey, let's thank Levi one more time. So good. Thank him for giving us some tools to make some new memories. I challenge you guys, you know, it's one thing to be vulnerable as you're hearing that message and it hits your heart. And you're like, oh, I need, I need to hear this and then go home and not talk about maybe some of those memories that you need to make into a new memory. And so I challenge you on your way home, when you get home, talk with your family, talk with your kids about what that looks like, begin to build those, talk with your connect group about what it looks like to build some new memories. And again, as Levi said, after this service, if you prayed that prayer to accept Jesus Christ, we're going to have pastors, counselors up here in the front. We would love to take you over into a room and pray with you and talk through those struggles, talk through maybe some of those things that you've been hiding, that you've been unwilling to address. We would love to have the opportunity to walk through life with you. If you did pray that prayer, you can fill out one of those red next step cards uh, as well if you want to do it that way and drop it in that box and we'll get in contact with you. But on your way out again, make sure to stop up, stop by and pick up one of those books that Levi brought, Roar Like a Lion. It will help your family, will help your kids. They're going to go quick. There's not a lot of them. If you don't get one, go to Amazon and pick one up. But let's one more time thank Levi for coming out and sharing that word with us. We hope you enjoyed this special service from Calvary Church. We'd love to know how this message impacted you. Email us at mystory@calvarynm.church. And just a reminder, you can support this ministry with a financial gift at calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from Calvary Church.